Home Abstract and Title Company was founded in 1867 and is the oldest company still operating in McLennan County. Home Abstract is comprised of a team of honest, friendly, hardworking professionals dedicated to providing both commercial and residential real estate clients with the highest level of communication and service. Their team is committed to working hard and building and maintaining strong relationships because transactions are so much more than just deals. They are clients deserving of the courtesy, care and respect that home abstract and title company is known for visit home abstract and title company at homeabstract.com cross the brazos and waco i'm safe when i reach seven all right, welcome back to the Waco History Podcast. This is the Crossroads episode, and we continue to discover, learn new things about the ways in which Waco served as crossroads. Right, Rick? I, I absolutely agree. Uh, in fact, a few weeks ago, we had the opportunity to go to KWTX and do a, um, uh, a quick interview to, to promote the podcast. Mm-hmm. And while we were there, we got to meet uh, Brady Taylor. He came in and said he was a fan of the podcast. I'm like, well, hey. If there's two people out there that actually listen to this thing, we got to get one of them on. That's true. That's uh, so, listener. That's one of the rewards for listening is you, you get to be a guest uh, on the podcast. It's a small enough group that we can carpool and, yes. and do things like that. But yeah. but the other side of that was um, as I as I thought about this theme of crossroads, um, our weather in Central Texas, uh, and, and if you if you think about it, I mean it 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 really um, it, it is. It, Central Texas is a crossroads for the weather that's going on in a lot of parts of the nation. And it's had a huge effect on, on how Waco has developed over the years. And I thought, man, that's a worthy, that's a worthy subject for a crossroads podcast. It is. But even as you talk extendedly there, you're a host, not a guest. And so I'd like to welcome our guest, uh, Brady Taylor. Thanks for being here, Brady. Oh, my pleasure. Like I said, I listen to the podcast actually, um, Stole some of uh, y'all's guests before for our documentary working on. So, yeah, great to be here. Well, please go ahead and tell us about that because I'm excited for the the premiere that's coming next month. Yeah, so we've uh, been working about the last year on documentary for the 70th anniversary of the Waco tornado. It's going to be called Monster from the Sky. Uh, that was what a lot of people referred to the tornado after it hit. And, uh, yeah, it'll be on air on KWTX the, the day of the anniversary, May 11th. And it's an hour-long documentary, and it'll... It should be pretty good. I, I'm, we're happy with what we put together and really telling the story of the people that lived through it and also just seeing some of the, the insane damage that mm-hmm. that storm caused as well. Right. So, you know, we have Brady and John Morris on. That They're like a voices. I mean, they have vo- <laughs> they're trained voices for this business. They yeah. show us to be the rank amateurs that we are. <laughs> so, so, Brady, would you please, inter- you know, talk about yourself a little bit. I mean, I think a lot of people are familiar with your face and your voice, but t- tell us a little bit about yourself. How, how, where did you always, grow up? I always and- joke with people. I've got a face for radio and a voice for newspaper. But, uh, no, yeah, I've, I've grown up in Central Texas. I uh, graduated high school out in a little town, Goldthwaite, out on the western oh, yeah. edge of our viewing area. Uh, went to Texas A&M, got my degree there, so a lot of Baylor fans probably get mad at that. But uh, <laughs> then I came to KWTX all the way back in 2005, so I started here right after graduating college, uh, lucked into a job being weekends, and then kind of stumbled into mornings after a few years, and 18 years later, I'm still here. And yeah, so uh, now the, the chief at KWTX, and uh, yeah, it's like you said, Central Texas, the Waco area, 
such a diverse area when it comes to weather. And uh, I think it's perfect to kind of fit in that crossword roads kind of a, a view of everything. So, so why weather? What drew you into that? <laughs> you know, it's funny because when I was a kid, I always wanted to be an astronaut. Um, and then I always joke with people. I just didn't make it all the way through the atmosphere. I still stare into this guy. I uh, actually, when I, I didn't actually decide I want to do meteorology till I got in college. Mm-hmm. I uh, actually want to do computer science. Then I figured out I didn't like computers that much, but all I do is computers now. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I stumbled into it, uh, in college. I actually went to junior college for my first semester and I was sitting in the library, just kind of killing time and picked a book up and was like, Hey, you know, look into this. It was weather and it caught my interest. And then I sent an email to a meteorologist up in the DFW area, expecting him not to reply to me and just kind of like, Hey, this is interesting. What, what about it? And he helped kind of push me along the way and ended up doing that. So yeah, it was never planned until Mm. I got in college and also didn't want to do TV when I first did it. And uh, then I kind of stumbled in the TV side. So uh, yeah, kind of a weird uh, path to get to where I got to. Right, right. And and A and M's got a great program. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, A and M and uh, actually Incarnate Word, a small school down in San mm-hmm. Antonio. Those are the only two that have bachelor's degrees in meteorology. Right. Uh, so it's a pretty small kind of degree you can get. A and M and OU are kind of the big ones in our right. area. Texas Tech has a master's program, but I was once I got my bachelor's, I was done with it. I'm, <laughs> I was get to work. Well, you know, one thing I love about that story, you mentioned that that other meteorologist really helped you out. And I, and I think a lot of times we don't realize, uh, as professionals, uh, maybe further on in our career, the the power we have mm. to help someone else who's trying to figure out what they're doing with their life. Mm. And uh, man, I, I would encourage our listeners when you get those opportunities, take them because you you can have a profound effect on someone's life. Oh, and it's true, but it also makes you feel old when you've got now interns that work <laughs> with you or at other stations and stuff like that. So yeah, 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 yeah it'll make you I feel old quick. Re- I got lots of reasons to feel <laughs> old, but that's okay. That's, um, One of the things that uh, I noticed recently, I was looking at kind of activity with the podcast is we have a lot of international listeners. And so, I mean, you can't assume everyone knows the climate we're talking about when we're talking about Waco. So maybe we could begin with just a little bit of a general description of. Well, and, and I would yeah. say even d- define the difference between climate and weather. Yeah. There, there you go. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. you know, when you think of it as like you're, you're a school kid. All right. So you're, you get a daily grades on your stuff. That's kind of like your, your daily weather. So weather is more what's going on now, short term look, then your climate is more, well, if you make a bunch of grades, no matter what it is, they're going to average out to kind of what you normally should see. So we always joke that the average temperature of the climate's more just the average of a bunch of extremes because, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so Central Texas really this time of year is known for just wild and crazy kind of weather. But, um, yeah, we're, we're kind of your blend between where we're located with the Gulf of Mexico not far away from us, but also you get out into the desert southwest. We're kind of in that transition zone here in Central mm-hmm. Texas. So we... We pick up the kind of the wild different types of weather. We're also on the kind of the southern end of what you would call Tornado Alley as well. So we, we get a lot of severe weather. But honestly, what we term as Tornado Alley now is kind of shifting with the way the climate's been. You know, we always talk about Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, but now Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama have been getting a lot of sure. that as well. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, we're, we're in that get a little bit of everything kind of uh, climate here in central Texas. So we, we get your summer heat. We typically don't get crazy winters, but it's been that way the last couple of years. But, um, you know, we, we get a little bit of everything here in our weather in Central Texas. Yeah, as, as I was looking at uh, some of the stuff that's out there about the climate, 
we're, we're actually seem to be right on the border of, to the east, a uh, subtropical climate, mm-hmm. and to the west, an arid climate. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Waco, kind of that I thirty five is the dividing line. It, it always, you know, and it's funny. We actually did a project about four years ago, just talking about, you know, having fun with the the I thirty five line. You know, why we see such different weather, but yeah, you know, for our KWTX viewing area, it's about a hundred miles east and west of I thirty five. You go that far, you can vary on average anywhere from twelve to sixteen inches difference in rain. Wow, and you can see. You go from, you know, the, the more dark black soil where you're more old time or cotton farms and stuff like that to our western counties where it's, you know, caliche dirt, mm-hmm. uh, mesquite trees and, you know, your limestone rock. Yeah. So yeah. It, it varies. And then you look at just the elevation change. We don't think about that here because we're pretty flat, but we have a thousand foot change over our area as well. So that that plays into it right, uh, right. across how much it changes in our area. Right. So, so when we think about the, the literal crossroads, and, and we talked a little bit before in an earlier episode about, the, you know, the road system and how it developed. And one of the things in, in just further reading about contemporary um, sources is they're talking about traveling through Texas mm-hmm. in a wagon. I mean, you're looking for flat ground, but, you know, another major challenge was swollen rivers. Yeah. So it seems like if, you, if you're going to draw, you know, take the best of both worlds or, or, or try to thread the needle that I-35 corridor where you've got the flat ground because if you go any further east, you get to broken ground, right? You mm-hmm. get to the hill country type stuff that's a lot harder to traverse. And you go any further east, you get more and more rain. And so it, it's it's kind of the, the needle to thread it <clears throat> where I-35, you know, obviously started as a trail and developed into an interstate over time. Um, but but there's a reason it's there. And yeah, you can you can track all these cities along the <laughs> fall lines there of those rivers, those those rivers that kind of bisect Texas. They all had a fall line at some point, and you can follow it right up to go through. Yeah, and you know San Antonio and Austin. And Waco. Waco, known for you know if you look back at the history, that it was kind of a low crossing point there, but mm-hmm. it also had just crazy floods that had big <laughs> impacts as well. Mm-hmm. Right, um, and then climatically, you think about the. Uh, the uh, idea of, of uh, Waco being part of the Old South <clears throat> in the cotton um, economy, uh, looking at, and it's not true now because we have irrigated crops and we've got better varieties, but uh, in the 1800s, 30 inches was the minimum amount of rain it took per year to have a cotton crop. Mm-hmm. And we're right on that line, mm-hmm. right, Brady? Yes. Kind of where where do we kind of sit in that? Yeah, and that that's where, like I said, uh, Waco is kind of exactly that dividing line. You know, we average in the 30s, but we'll have a lot of years where it's 20, and sometimes yeah, yeah. where it's nearly 60. Right, so, right. Yeah, uh, but it's an average. Yes, yes, and that and that's why you see a lot. You know, you go I 35 eastward, you really see a lot more of that. You know, dedicated farming land, but you go I 35 west, just west of Waco, it transitions quickly from farming that maybe more now irrigation done to. You ranch, know, yeah, yeah, just ranch yeah, land yeah, where ranch you're, and pasture. You're, and, yeah, you're lucky if you get some coastal that you can feed your cattle with. Yeah, 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 yeah. Goldthwait, y'all yep. probably didn't uh, have a whole lot of. No, maybe in the bottoms had a little bit of farming yeah, going but, on, but it but was, honestly, there it was pecan trees is what we had in all the bottoms. Mm, so, uh, but yeah. yeah, it it you get out there, it's yeah, you're growing hay, peanuts, and stuff like that <laughs> was about all they got away with growing. Yeah, yeah, and that's interesting thing to think about too. I mean, the other major part of our crossroads, the Brazos River, as it comes through town. Um, as it goes east, uh, I mean, sorry, as it, as it comes from the west, it, it doesn't have uh, a traditional snowpack or something else feeding it. Mm-hmm. It's coming out of a desert, arid mm-hmm. environment. Um, 
it, and I think it it probably you know uh, I'm not a hydrologist, but you know you're going to go ahead and give a, a hypothesis. I anyway. am. Well, just just the <laughs> it comes from wizards. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have a bunch of dams now that yeah. that help regulate the flow. But mm-hmm. think about it, in the 1800s when you didn't, and you were just counting on what rain happened upriver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you could go. I mean, it was feast or famine, right? I mean, it could. Um, be flooding the banks or barely trickling just well, you, based on what's You still going on see west. that impact with the what the lakes here in our area. I mean, Lake Waco's down to nearly fifty percent. Mm-hmm. You know, the the, the Bosque River feeds that, and right. you you go parts of the Bosque's nearly dry, and even further south down into parts of Bell County, their their rivers, you know, the Leon and the Lampasas come nearly due west. So you know, a lot of times we'll see rain in parts of our area get good rain, but if it doesn't fall on the right spots on the river or too much gets in the river, then that can either bring it up real fast or drop it real quick. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So this, uh, I teach uh, American West is one mm. of the classes that I teach. And one of the fun things about the 19th century is there's a lot of pseudo scientific beliefs about the weather in the 19th century. <laughs> one of my favorite ones that boosters liked was an idea that rain follows the plow. Mm. The idea if you go and plow <laughs> land and, and kind of release the the uh, mm. uh, uh, kind of the the uh, water from the soil. It'll create the overall rainfall, and and so there's there, there's <laughs> these periods where the 1870s and things like that where they're getting above average rain, mm. and it seems like it's working, <laughs> but you know there's these periods of bust, and so you know, we are on the edge of cotton culture mm. here, and of course all the things that it's interesting, all the things that that weather. The, the fact of that climate mm. determines with regard to society and culture and economies and things like that has a huge impact. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, this area is just known for kind of that boom or bust when it comes to rain. I mean, uh, there was a famous uh, meteorologist worked up in Dallas. His name was Harold Taft, and he always said a drought ends with a flood, the flood ends with a drought. <laughs> and, you know, you can look back at mm. Lake Waco's levels, and it's just bouncing around. And that's where, you know, climate versus weather, you know, you, you average it all out. Yeah, we, we average a certain amount of rain, but you know, it's, it comes in just largely varying. And yeah, like I said, the, when the crops depend on it and stuff like that, it becomes a major impact. And plus just the Brazos river and the, the mount it can, or used to be able to swell and the major impacts it had on the city of Waco as well. Right. Right. Okay. So we're, we're, we're talking a lot about moisture, but, but there's other parts of climate, um, prevailing winds. I mean, kind of mm. what's, what's that look like, uh, for central Texas? Cause we are so affected by the Gulf. Yes. If you step outside, typically in the spring or summer, you're going to, you're going to feel that. And, um, but that, that varies a lot as well. You know, uh, you ever go to college station in the summer in August, you don't want to be there. You know, that's how much humidity. <laughs> I but, don't think I ever want to be in college station, but that's, uh, well, another, that's, that's another a whole discussion. other episode. Yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, you, and the direction of the winds play a, a key factor. You know, you get the Southeast winds that brings in the moisture off the Gulf of Mexico. You get a southwesterly wind that's coming off the plateaus in Mexico and the mountains there. And even just to do westerly wind will bring in dry desert air as well. Right. So, yeah, the direction, I mean, typically we see a south wind a lot of times here, and that, that pumps in the muggy air into central Texas. But quick shifts in the wind can uh, cause just dramatically right, big right. changes in our weather. I, lo- I love the picture of a, of a lone tree out on the prairie, and it's always leaning to the north, right? Because <laughs> uh, those south winds come in the growing season, and that just kind of pushes all all the trees have a little bit of a northern <laughs> bent. Mm-hmm. Um, it, okay, so that same weather pattern, uh, I mean, that brings a bunch of storms through here, right? Thunderstorms. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked a little bit about, uh, you know, tornadoes, that kind of stuff. So what's that look like? I mean, there's kind of seasons for yeah. that, right? Yeah, typically our 
severe weather season, if you want to call it that, typically runs on normal from about April to early June. It's becoming a little more that March is trying to uh, jump into that as well. And then we can sometimes get a fall severe weather season as well, October, November, um, depending on how the weather set up. But yeah, typically our stormy time and our rainiest time of the year is in April, May. May is typically our wettest month. And it's one of those where if we don't really catch good in April and May, that's when, you know, you get the big drought Mm -hmm. concerns in the Mm -hmm. summer because unfortunately it's going to stop raining in the summer. Typically August and September, all of our hopes are on something tropical moving in. Um, Right. You know, the Gulf Coast is rooting against the tropical systems, but that can sometimes bring us really big rains. Right. Depending on how a hurricane or tropical storm, how it can move into our area. Right. Right. you know, one thing is, is I looking at I was looking at contemporary sources mm-hmm. again about how weather affected life in mm-hmm. the 1800s and prehistory as well. Um, something we don't think about today, where those thunderstorms brought lightning, and when you had a primarily prairie grassland mm-hmm. type uh, ecology, uh, that that would trip or set off lots of prairie fires, mm-hmm. the the lightning strikes, and uh, which then reinforced because the you know the grasslands would burn it would burn off the uh you know the woody vegetation and keep it keep it in the grass would grow back quickly and it kept it open prairie for for you know millennia um but but we're starting to see now there's a lot more trees because we don't allow that to happen anymore Uh, yeah yeah you get the get the cities in there and then we know how to fight fires a little better and changes that whole Um, d- dynamic for sure. Yeah, yeah, but that was part of the ecology and the climate um, prehistory. So, you mentioned earlier, Brady, and obviously we all know this, and this impacts uh, Waco's history in a in a real way, as you were, as you were talking about earlier. But what what are the conditions that place us in that tornado belt? You know, is kind of I mean, what, what are the what are the elements that kind of come together that create the circumstances that make it likely here? So when we talk Tornado Alley, we're, we're in the area, so we're close enough to the Gulf of Mexico that we get those southeasterly winds that roll in, and that pumps in the humidity. So that's your kind of your f- fuel for thunderstorms. You need those hot, muggy kind of days. But then as you go west, you've got, you know, like I said, the plateaus and some of the mountains in Mexico, and then the Rocky Mountains, you get really cold air coming over that, and you get the setup where we are and up towards Oklahoma and areas like that, we get these sometimes pretty dynamic storm systems that will roll across the central parts of the country. And that, that sets the kind of the, the ingredients together that we can get those uh, big storms that develop. But a lot of times we're kind of right on that line. Um, you'll, you'll hear a weather term called a dry line that we talk about sometimes. And all that is is a weather system pushing drier air into kind of close to the I-35 corridor. That, that's funny because it's another one of those kind of cutoffs for mm-hmm. that. Depending on how much it's rained in previous years, you'll – varies that humidity rate hmm. but that dry line can march towards the east and mm-hmm. that's ones that just fire massive storms typically mm-hmm. the dry line won't produce widespread rain but it produces really 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 big storms mm-hmm. and then another factor we get with the weather here in our area you'll hear us weather guys use the term the cap sometimes we get warm air moves out of mexico and it'll actually put a lid on the atmosphere you go up and what happens is mm-hmm. we'll get these hot muggy days and you know us weather guys will be oh we got a chance for storms and then It'll be sunny and completely clear. Well, you had enough fuel, but it couldn't break through that layer. Hold on, I thought you you guys were just doing that to give us a you know just a you know he's it's usually his tea times. He's trying to get us off. Oh yeah, yeah. he's trying to clear the course. (laughs) Okay, that explains it. I've got the worst job because you don't root for bad weather. You know, you know, and and I don't want it to happen. But then if I say it's going to happen, it doesn't. Then people get on to me as well. But yeah, those days like that, you know, it's kind of like if you 
boiling water on a pot and you got the lid on it, you know, and it's just bouncing and hitting off there. You pull the lid off, all that, knock the mic, all that hot air comes <laughs> spilling through. Well, it's the same thing on those kind of days. The fuel's there, and if it can go off the bomb, you know, it's just like a bomb going off. And, you know, we were talking about the, the 53 tornado, and that's where a lot of people were talking. That was a drought year, so everyone was rooting for rain. They wanted rain really bad. Uh, and you just, you'll hear stories from people back then of just, you know, it looked like, you know, clouds were going to the heavens, how much those clouds mm. were blowing up mm-hmm. that day. Uh, but we, you know, another deal we deal with here in central Texas compared to, you know, the panhandle Oklahoma and stuff like that. People, the the worst thing we always have is everyone wants to go out and look at the tornadoes, yeah. but we have so much moisture here. Uh, we get what's called high precipitation supercells or right. rain wrapped um, tornadoes. So you'll never even be able to see them, right. but it's there, but there's just so much moisture in the air. And that that's something else we dealt with at the, the 53 tornado where no one ever saw it. It was mm. just a big wall of rain. Unfortunately, with that was 200 was, was mile an hour winds yeah, yeah. as well. You know, we can skip around chronologically a little bit here because I'd like to go ahead and go in and talk about the the Waco tornado. You've spent a lot of time mm. over the last year kind of looking at that event mm-hmm. and looking at the impact of that event. And so I'd, I'd love to, I, I don't want to steal the thunder <laughs> of, the, of the production, but I'd love to hear some of your takeaways from it after spending so much time. Yeah, you know, I'd always known about the tornado. I mean, in, in some of the basic stats that people didn't know, it was the, the deadliest tornado in Texas history, 114 people. It actually goes down as the first F5 tornado ever. Now, hmm. the interesting fact was they didn't start rating tornadoes till the 1970s. So uh, there was Dr. Ted Fujita that studied and tried to figure out, you know, what kind of winds cause what kind of damage. And then the weather service started looking back and they were like, all right, we know this one was that strong. So they, it's the first official one in the record books. Uh, but yeah, it was a, it was a beast of a storm and uh, it touched down near Lorena at about four o'clock in the afternoon. Now the difference, this, this shows the differences in just population. So it went through Lorena, went through Hewitt and didn't really do any damage. I mean, there was barely any people that lived <laughs> right, in that part. Right. Yeah. Uh, if, if that same storm went there now, we'd probably be talking more about residential damage than downtown damage because once it moved into downtown, it was four forty in the afternoon, roughly. Um, and it, you, you think in 1953, you know, a lot of families only had one car. So the wife would come pick up the husband or whatever. So there were a lot of people on the road coming to pick people up or people getting off work, stuff like that. It was about a third of a mile wide when it went through downtown mm. and couldn't pick a worse place to, to hit in downtown, right at the intersection of 5th and Austin. It was interesting when I was at the Texas Collection looking through newspapers and stuff like that. Uh, the Air Force at James Conley Air Force Base was doing some test runs. So they were flying bombers over different areas of Central Texas and practicing like they were dropping bombs. And they picked Waco, Mejia, and Temple. And the areas, they picked what would be the most kind of important areas to practice. If you look at the picture in the paper, the bullseye was the fifth fifth in Austin. Mm. So, you know, the busiest area not great construction, you know, the Alico building, the Roosevelt hotel took direct hits, but they walked away fine. Right. Right. They Uh, were pretty modern buildings. Yeah. Steel construction and stuff like that. But when you look at the RT Dennis, the Paget buildings, those were the two most significant, Mm -hmm. you know, looking from the outside, they look fine, but it was wood buildings, brick facade, no steel inside of it. And, you know, there were several buildings that survived downtown that were built that same way that were just outside the path that were torn down within a few years later just because they weren't structurally sound either. But yeah, it was, you know, it was all the ingredients that you need for just a horrible situation. And, um, yeah, it was, you know, that's why it goes down to such a major impact and you still see 
it's crazy to think 70 years later, you can still see the scars downtown that that storm left, you know, go to fifth and Austin. There's a parking lot right there next to Alico building in that one block between fourth, fifth Austin and Franklin, 60 people lost yeah. their lives just in that one area. So yeah, it was a, a devastating storm that, you know, couldn't hit a worse spot at a worse time. So, so is that typical for tornadoes to go south to north? On, on average, our, if you had to pick a direction they normally go, it's southwest to northeast. That's just the way. So it, you, you would think with the winds at the ground coming in from the southeast, but as you go higher up in the air, our jet stream winds, typically we have thunderstorms, will move out of the west or so the thunderstorm actually is feeding off of winds higher up in the sky. Okay. Now that's the norm. Now you can go back to 1997. There was the Gerald tornado. That was another yeah. F5. That one moved due south. And the crazy thing, that one was moving like 10 miles per hour. So you could just nearly park your car and watch it as it moved through. So those are the two strong ones. That's what's crazy when you look at I think F- you could have even outrun that one. <laughs> I mean, that'd be tough. I, I can't do the math in my head. Yeah. But yeah. 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 But uh, you had a tornado behind me. And I'm sorry, I was looking at Stephen when I said that. So (laughs) Brady's much more fit. No, no, no. No chance. I mean, for sure, Brady could outrun it. No, yeah, I would be inside probably hunkered down trying to make it through on something like that. (laughs) But yeah, our typical movement is kind of the way that tornado moved. But if you look at it, it was moving from southwest to northeast, but it actually turned a little bit downtown because it hit you know, where the old Cotton Palace was, it hit right. Katy Park, but then it turned back to the northwest a little bit and went over Franklin and, um, you know, and then eventually Austin. Pretty much, I don't you know, know if it, it had a direct hit of the um, suspension bridge, but it hit that. And that's one cool thing that um, mm. we talked about in the documentary. I never knew that that if they wouldn't have stuccoed it due to the flooding that we had along the Brazos, the suspension bridge may have not survived the tornado. Oh, wow. And, you know, you, Interesting. You, how much that would have changed just the, the history of Waco. Because, I mean, the Alaco building and the suspension bridge are kind of the two right, things right. You, you look at. Well, the path you described, we're sitting in right now. Yeah, yeah, at, it would have been River really close here. Was, was this building original to the... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I don't know how this building is. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But yeah, but this would have been at least on the yeah, edge of I, where we're near Cotton Palace Park. So yeah, yeah, I would so. feel better. Yeah, in fact, I remember we when we did the episode on Cotton Palace Park, there were actually two fatalities at the park. Mm. There used to be a swimming, swimming pool, pool there, yeah. mm-hmm. and there were two people that hid in some of the old structures that right. used to to uh, uh, make up uh, the Cotton Palace. Yeah, and they were the they the, were the sad thing with that day. So you, you get a mixed report of. Some schools let out early, some didn't, because the early morning, they were, they were given warnings that there was the potential of a tornado. I mean, this is, again, 1953. Our closest, the, the weather service didn't exist, and it was the Weather Bureau. But the office that covered our area was all the way in New Orleans. So they covered mm. a huge area. And it was just about that time they were even starting to mention the word tornado. They didn't, you know, it was the science of it. Radars weren't uh, quite around where they, they didn't even know the, radar feature that we track now in tornadoes what we call a hook echo Mm -hmm. they didn't even know that that was what you could see in a radar that could produce a Mm -hmm. a tornado so yeah i mean some of the schools were talking about okay there's a chance storms we're gonna let the kids out early others weren't but honestly when they let the kids out they just thought they had a free day so like i said somewhere at the you know cotton palace area uh, there was a a recreation hall downtown called the torrance recreation hall it had a domino hall on the top floor and a pool hall down in the bottom and it was there was an alleyway there on Fifth Street between the Frank or the R.T. Dennis and Paget building, so it was back in that alley. Well, they were in the worst possible place. I think mm. numbers you get varying reports around 18 people died in that building, but they most people are like, you know, they're oh it's no big deal. And you know another story we talk about that kind of deals with the history of Waco is 
the Waco Indians had a mm-hmm. legend that said that a, a, a strong wind or a tornado would never hit Waco, that that's the reason the Indians picked the area with the bluffs there in Cameron Park mm-hmm. that, you know, and, you know, you think about back in that time, you know, you got the Comanches and other Indians that, you know, they roam around a little bit. Well, you, at that time, you you didn't want to be around a tornado. So they figured that this area was a great place. And then, you know, it's wild to think that Waco all the way to 1953 never had a tornado that did anything significant. But the first one was an F5 tornado that went right through downtown and killed that many people. So, you know, there's a lot of people that were, you know, they swore by it that, mm. no, it's never going right, to happen. There's right. nothing to worry about. The Indians said it wouldn't. And then one of the oral history interviews we used during the documentary, the guy says, yeah, but the Indians are gone now, so that doesn't help us much. <laughs> <laughs> now, now uh, you talked about that. Uh, I, I did find somewhere in, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, eight, in May, May 27th, 1885, there was a report of a tornado and flooding mm-hmm. that killed 11 people in Waco. Didn't really say where that was. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if there's any. Did you, you say 1885? Yeah. yeah, 1885. Yeah. yeah. So you know, and and that's another thing where you know where we're talking about the the high precipitation stuff. It right. it may have never seen an actual tornado touchdown, but you know, and and when you get in the 1800s, a lot more of the deaths were from the flooding concern. You know, really when the Brazos could right. come up really quick, particularly the East Waco side. That that side of the Brazos River seemed to. I don't know if the elevations is slightly different, but that side right. seemed to have when the Brazos really swole it, it went into that area and caused a lot of problems. Which always uh, connected to development, mm-hmm. how each side developed. Yeah. Uh, that was the more industrial side of the mm-hmm. river. Yeah. Um, so uh, the data I found said uh, since 1952, we average about two per year. Yeah. Is that for I mean, McLennan County? McLennan County. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, again, we talked, I mean, it's an average. So probably yeah. some years we have zero and some we have four. Yeah. And you and know, that average is two. And here recently, we haven't had uh, a, a ton in and around the Waco area or, or McLennan County. But yeah, that, that's probably a, a good average. I mean, and most of your tornadoes are going to be those weak ones that don't do, you know, air quotes, weak. I mean, you're still dealing with winds 100 miles per hour, but not your catastrophic style storms. Right. But, you know, other than the 53, the, the, the day of the Gerald tornado, the first one touched down in McLennan mm-hmm. County, in southern McLennan County. But we haven't had any you know, catastrophic style tornadoes. We've had a few strong ones that in my time of being here that we tracked and looked at, but nothing that, you know, goes in the historic style level. Right. So, so I grew up in the panhandle Hmm. and, uh, in, uh, in Plainview, Texas, and, uh, tornadoes were like the most exciting thing we could do on a weekend, (laughs) you know? And, uh, I mean, we, you could see them coming a mile away They're you know, whatever. And it was, it was a big part of, of the culture up there, but every house had a Hmm. basement. Yeah. Very few houses in Waco have a basement. Yeah, and that, that comes down to the soil here. You know, it's yeah. just not, you know, advantageous to try to drill through all the rock. And, yeah. you know, you get the shifting and stuff like that. And, you know, yeah, when I, I do talks at schools and stuff, you know, I don't even mention basements when we talk about where to go in a, a tornado. You got some that have tornado shelters or right. stuff like that. But, yeah, here in Central Texas, you know, the same thing you watch, you know, Oklahoma Station covers severe weather. They're like, get underground. You know, that's that's what they tell <laughs> yeah. them to do. I'm yeah. like, we're not going underground and you know, get a shovel and start digging. But, uh, yeah. So, you know, we, we, we talked to the kids about where to get in houses and stuff like that to try to stay safe. But yeah, very few are going to have the, the, the basements or tornado shelters to really keep safe. I just remember when I was a kid, you get in the tub and pull a mattress yep. over you. Is and that, that you know, is that, that still the standard that, advice. Yeah. That, that sounds that funny, every night or is that just tornado <laughs> nights? <laughs> I mean, that, 
Well, Henderson's just, a little different place. It's just for place. a good time. Okay. Yeah, All right. <laughs> yeah and honestly, it, it sounds goofy that that yeah. would be where you go. But the, the reason is, is your way your home's constructed, there's pipes that are in the walls that go to the sink and the bathtub and stuff like that. And uh, last year, um, we had a, a EF3 tornado that went down near the town of Salado. Mm-hmm. And um, wild story with that, I was actually tracking the storms. I had a pair of friends that their kids played baseball with my son. And I knew they lived around Slato, but I didn't know exactly where. And um, when I track storms, I've got a little computer that I roll up in front of me and I can put my phone there in case, you know, my storm chasers or whatever need to go a hold of me and my wife, which I can't answer. I just see that she texts. <laughs> but I'm starting to get text messages of, you know, so-and-so's house got hit. The house is destroyed. The kid was in the house. But luckily, they told him to go get in the bathtub. His house, their house, took a direct hit from very catastrophic storm. Nearly every wall fell, and then the entire roof got ripped off. He was in the bathtub and just had some scratches. So, oh my you know, the, the kind of wild thing. And, you know, you look at the F5 and Gerald. There was a family that got in the bathtub, pulled a mattress on top of them. Right. The storm was strong enough. It broke one of their arms in the bathtub. But when they got out... It was the bathtub in one wall. That was all that was left, and wow. they, they survived it. So oh it sounds like a goofy thing. And I'm going to do a drill and see if I can get the <laughs> see if I can get the mattress send, in there. Send pictures, please. You know, and post post pics. Yeah, the, getting the mattress in the door may be the hardest well, part. You know, or a it, pillow or a sofa cushion, something like that. You know, the, the uh, building construction has or residential construction has changed mm. quite a bit. So uh, you know, used to it was galvanized pipes or copper pipes mm. in the wall. Yep. Everything now is plastic Tubes. pipe. Yeah. It's flex pipe. You yeah. Know, it's PEX. Yeah. And um, so so we've lost some so, of that structural stability. And most bathtubs are not cast iron anymore. But you know what's crazy, though, is that some of the tornado research has helped building codes to know how, you know, how boards need to be sure. struck. Yeah. You know, and yeah. that, that actually, so why we have what's now called the enhanced Fuji scale is because they've learned about that and now change the scale a little bit of how strong the winds can actually cause a house to collapse or that kind right, of stuff. Right. But from storms, we've learned, you know, they weren't building up to code and that those yeah, codes are yeah. really important on, you know, how, how the houses are built and how strong the wind they can actually take. Right. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> well, um, I, I want, we want to talk about freezes. Uh, mm-hmm. Rick did some research, uh, <laughs> on freezes here. We had a few freezes. Well, and of course, most listening, if you're a local, uh, did the lived event of the most consecutive hours uh, below 32 degrees, and Brady didn't sleep. No, I, uh, I was. I lived it. I think I went to work on Saturday, and I think I came home that Thursday. That was. Um, <laughs> and people always ask, you know, what'd you do? I said, well, they put us in a hotel for a couple of nights, but we actually were. So this was February of 2021. For skip ahead there, but. Our TV station got a couple hotels nearby, but everybody knew it was so bad. Uh, Providence Hospital actually just reserved one whole hotel themselves, so we couldn't even go to that one. And we didn't know, you know, how bad we we're going to need it, so we just did night by night. And one night, I'm going into the hotel, and it was literally walk in at eleven o'clock, and I'm out at five in the morning the next morning. And there's people all in the lobby and sitting in the hallways. We'd been below freezing so bad that people were doing anything they could to try to get somewhere. And they mm-hmm. gave my hotel to somebody else and kicked me out. So I had to just sleep at the, at the TV station, <laughs> oh, no. but we don't have a shower at the station and, you know, try to work two or three days, not showering. You know, I, I uh, don't look very presentable. Uh, good thing it's not smell a vision. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that high definition, you just, it's hard on you. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that, that was, <clears throat> and, and talk about that. <clears throat> We've been mainly talking about the, the, the Gulf and how mm. it affects our weather. But we do get these crazy northers that come down. Yeah, and this, you know, we've been in a kind of a weird setup where the they've been bad here the last couple of years. But yeah, 
you get that. I mean, that was true Arctic air that plunged down from way up, up close to the poles and moved down. And that was a crazy one. I remember seven days out, we were looking at the model data and one of our, we used two long range models and one of them was just screaming at us, hey, every day and actually getting worse every day. And I remember texting a colleague of mine. I was like, there's no way in the world this thing is right. <laughs> because, you know, part of telling the story on TV, you know, we, we see the models, but they, they can flip-flop and change a lot. And, it you know, changes. It yeah, does. I've yeah, really yeah. when you're talking seven to ten days out. Yeah. So you're never wrong. No, The no, model no. just changes. That, that's why there's percentages on there. There's a. I, it's so funny. I'll put a 20% and I'll get a message from somebody, hey, it's raining 20% on me right now. I'm like, yeah, then, you know, I got a large area we got to forecast for. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that one was, you know, just as crazy cold. And then you not only got the, the cold blast, but typically when we get a cold blast like that, you get that drier air moves in, the rain all moves out. We had wave after wave of that, you know, freezing rain and snow and sleet. And it was just layer after layer of just mm-hmm. nastiest. And then, then you then you add the whole power grid issue that that was one of the few weather events that I didn't have people complaining at me because they were so mad at ERCOT that they were wanting to figure out how to get a hold of them. So, I, right, right. you know, typically it's my fault, but that that was one that it wasn't. It, and um, if, if I remember right, that's not... Um, I mean, it, it, there, there's another point in history. I can't remember exactly when it was, like early 1900s, where we had a similar almost mm-hmm. as long. Of yeah, a, there was one in the late eight. I think it was 1899. We had one, okay. that, and that was the one where you know we. I was just looking through. Yeah, that was in February as well. And yeah, Waco recorded negative five. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's then, where the crazy pictures are of people ice skating on mm-hmm. the Brazos. Yeah, if you, the Gildersleeve photos mm-hmm. of people, you know out there ice skating yeah so uh, yeah and you i mean that would have been completely crazy i mean one you just don't have the insulation and stuff to keep you warm and stuff like that and then no or, warning or, or that or it's coming skates. yeah yeah I didn't, I didn't even think to do that in that february i wonder if we could have done it and gone down to the brazos yeah brazos didn't freeze solid I don't no i don't we didn't get much yeah. I, I did see some pictures of lake waco that had some ice towards mm-hmm. the edges um there were lots of buildings you could ice skate it in yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And there were there were some of our western counties that had some stock tanks that got cold enough that they could walk across but <clears throat> Yeah, that that was an interesting event for sure. So one of one of my favorite uh, historical weather events, uh, if if you ever read about Santa Anna marching his troops into Texas, mm. uh, headed to the, headed to uh, San Antonio to uh, have it out at the Alamo, and they got hit by a norther uh, in kind of that that boundary area between you know Rio Grande area. A lot of his troops were from the Yucatan, right? <laughs> they were they were subtropical uh, inhabitants, and they had you know uh, very little clothing and they get hit with a norther that dumped um, uh, a foot or or more of snow on them mm. and and actually killed a bunch of them i mean they, it was mm. just they were so unprepared for it so but that that's how um unpredictable yeah. our, our weather can be i mean we can have these crazy northers yeah through. i mean we, we you know like we we're talking climate versus weather i mean we've had times where blue bonnet's been on the ground and had snow and then we've had you know our first 100 degree day on record is all the way in march so you know we we can see some wild crazy swings for sure what, what's the difference between a norther and a polar vortex <laughs> so polar vortex you get polar vortex sounds yeah, really cool by you the know, way i like it now nowadays with media you get all these fancy terms you know the polar vortex or you know the one the the key one this year was the atmospheric river you know you get these terms oh, yeah. that yeah. uh catch people's attention and all, all all the polar vortexes you got you know the the jet stream works around the poles and you'll get little you know, little dips in the jet stream or weather disturbances, and they typically rotate around. And if one can break off and push push farther south, 
and and that and a northern are kind of the same thing. Now you'll get, you know, just because we get north winds behind a cold front, where that air comes from. So sometimes it's just out of Canada. Sometimes it can pull all the way from Alaska or, you know, all the way from the poles. So it's just gotcha. how strong the system is and how cold the bear it's pushing in. And, um, and this is a total aside, but when did they start naming all these storms? And what was, <laughs> what's... Give, give me what's the history on that. So you know the the hurricanes they've they've named Long now. Time. Yeah, now the the Weather Channel has been starting to the names of winter storms. That's completely the Weather Channel. So that is, <laughs> okay. hey, we we put a name on it. People want to you know care about it. It's just like hurricanes. We we put a name. Everyone you know they care more about it. You know than saying oh weather systems moving in. So that uh, most of your you know, your National Weather Service and TV stations, other than the Weather Channel, don't name these these other storm systems. But I think that, was it URI or, I don't think, that may have been the 2021 one that they right, put the name right. on. So I'll hear people mention it that. But yeah, that was literally a, hey, how can we get people to talk about winter storms? Let's put a name on it. And then that, you know, that's the TV side of just trying to get ratings, really. <laughs> I think we should name droughts. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, we, we'd have some bad names that we couldn't say on TV, <laughs> TV about those. That's right. <laughs> Well, you mentioned <clears throat> you mentioned hurricanes. I mean, we do have them come mm-hmm. through Central Texas. Yeah, and they can cause just a completely different setup, and it can be just a few, you know, less than a hundred miles can make a big difference. So, if a hurricane hits, say around Galveston, and moves up the Texas coast, we can actually see a big heat wave here. So, the same year of twenty fifth two thousand five, same year as Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Rita was looked like it was going to move right up the I thirty five corridor, bring mm-hmm. us a big event. But every forecast shifted it a little bit to the right. And uh, you want to talk about a blown forecast. So, uh, <laughs> you know, everybody still had kind of the shock and awe from Katrina. Everyone's running and getting generators. We literally had people getting in a fist fight at HEB over a loaf of bread, but that storm moving in. Well, it shifted and pretty much moved right up the Texas-Louisiana line. We didn't get a drop of rain. Right. But if you think away, the the air circulates around a hurricane. We were on the drier side, the western side. So right. we broke record high temperatures, and everyone's like, oh, where's this hurricane you were getting us all compared? But we, we can either get big heat waves if they move to our east, but if they move up I-35 or across just west of there, we can get some of the biggest rains that we've ever had because it pulls. Typically, it'll pull the rain in, and a hurricane, as it gets away from the ocean, will kind of slow down, and it can just dump a, a, a ton of rain in our area if we get the, the right location for it. Wow. So this is an aside also, but since you did one, I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> so what is it, what is it like to be in a profession where you predict so publicly and, and just as, <laughs> as the nature of the profession, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna, the model's gonna oh, change. It, yeah. I'm going to use that with my wife. I'm not wrong. The model just <laughs> changed. You can yeah. use that history models. Yeah. Well, the history model was wrong. It man. changed. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah, it, it you, you kind of grow a thick skin with it, I yeah. guess, you know, luckily in central Texas, most of the people will, you know, there's always the joke, you know, weatherman gets it wrong half the time, it still keeps their job. I always joke with them. I was like, how many times was your doctor wrong on something? And you does know, it hurt? I just want to know. Does it, I mean, emotionally, does it? No, I, those are, I can take those jokes. Well, the ones that bother most of us the most is how literally mad people get when we interrupt their programming. So, um, they, we, you know, and people will be like, Oh, you're on TV saying the same thing over and over and over again. Well, yeah, we're, we've got, sometimes there's a whole bunch of storms and maybe it's one, but people don't realize too, that we're a free over the air broadcast company. So we have government regulations that we have to hit when it comes to keeping people safe with potentially right, deadly right. storms. So, uh, just here recently we had a, a storm that had several tornado warnings and the, uh, 
CMT awards were going on. Oh so, goodness! Um, yes. So I, I had I had some uh, yeah, and, and you know I'll, that's our our you know prayer that you know, the year that our station gets the Super Bowl that hopefully nothing happens on it. But yeah, it it that that gets hard. But luckily our management at Channel Ten there they back us up and deal with it. And yeah, I'll, I'll get I'll get people mad, but that's wow. that's usually the one where. Covering up, a, I've had people, we covered up a rerun of a storm for tornadoes. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do? But uh, <laughs> yeah, that, but like I said, as you, as you earn the business long enough, you, you grow thick enough skin and just deal with it. I mean, right. can't make everybody happy. <laughs> uh, it's got to build character because it, it's not like you're anonymous either. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> my, now the, the one that gets it the worst is my son, because everybody will ask him weather questions and that generation doesn't watch TV at all. He, yeah. He, I don't know the last time he's watched me, but everyone will ask him questions. But he's got to the point where he just makes something up and tell him something and keep walking. So <laughs> well, that, that's basically it, what you do, right? Yeah, yeah you just know. make it up. I'll, yeah, because everyone, you know, it's you know, when people see me, that's all they know me for is the weather. So that's right. they'll ask me questions or joke about something, and yeah, you kind of have those quick little liners um, that you can tell people. So yes, <laughs> the repertoire of jokes is probably getting pretty old at this point <laughs> in your life. Um, he. So one one piece of weather that we haven't talked about related to thunderstorms, hail. Mm-hmm. I mean that's mm-hmm. a that's a major yeah. factor and and financially a major factor. In, oh yeah, in Central Texas. Yeah, you know, and like go back to the fifty three tornado that that same day they there was people that mm-hmm. said there was hail up to softball size with with the storms and um, yeah we we can get major hail producing storms here. Uh, last year with the same day the Salado tornado we had a hailstone that was over five and a half inches in diameter oh my god luckily it landed in someone's front yard so it didn't do any major damage but uh yeah when you start talking financially you know everyone talks tornadoes but hail typically does mm. you know that does more monetary damage and then flooding actually if you go all across the country and average everything out more people die from floods than they do from from tornadoes as well that's typically right. But tornadoes get all the attention just because how destructive they can but be. But a lot of flooding is is delayed. Yes, because yeah. of the yeah, and you know the, being around the Brazos, effects, I mean yeah. it, it definitely has you know pre putting the dams in the the they still um, the Brazos doesn't swell as bad now, particularly in the Waco area. Now you go south of the dam and go you know through areas like Downsville and some of the southern parts of McLennan right. County, they will see that bigger swell and bigger impacts. But right. yeah, that runoff impact. I guess the most interesting thing now in Waco is just all the debris that goes into the river and they've got to clean it out when everything, you kind of see how it all works into that area for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember, uh, were, were you still at Baylor when they had the big hailstorm in the nineties? No. Okay. Yeah. It, I mean, it's I not remember, just us though. If people are listening, go ahead. Well, and, and I don't remember the exact date. We haven't, we haven't scared him away by this point. Into uh, but but I, I was sitting out in my car with my girlfriend, then soon-to-be wife, uh, Elizabeth, and we hear this rumble coming. And uh, it, it was it was late night. We were studying, I promise. I swear we were studying. And, He's doing uh, air quotes. You and, can't uh, out, outside, the, outside the engineering building. And, uh, uh, so and romantic. I hear the, <laughs> I hear the, I, I hear, we hear the rumble. And growing up in um, the panhandle, I'm like, I think I know what that is. And I get out of the car and start running. And my wife, uh, or future wife, uh, I, I forgot about her. <laughs> oh, no. And so she's standing outside the car looking up. I'm like, run, run. And, you know, these big hailstorm stones start hitting around oh. us and popping on the ground. And uh, she doesn't let me forget about that. Yeah, I, really. I left her hanging there. And, and I remember that storm, it, it denuded a bunch of the trees, hmm. knocked you know, gave people broken arms who were riding their bikes back to uh, class or back to their apartments or whatever. I mean, it it uh, 
Yeah, and she, you, and she chose to have your children. Yeah. <laughs> well, there there's some other good qualities she chose to. Yeah, and you know, you focus on. You'll hear people talk about the sounds they hear around tornadoes and stuff like that. But there there's nothing that that when you get a big hailstorm, you know, even a you know tennis ball sized piece of hail sounds like bowling balls falling oh, from the it's, sky. It's, it's, it's crazy, eerie, and just. Yeah, it sounds like the world's coming to an end on when that happens. So as a meteorologist, do they make you sit through all those storms just to learn them all, what it's like to be in the middle of them? You no, know? you know, it's funny because that, you know, we, we have storm chasers we send out. And I, I got to do that some before I became chief. And, you know, it's fun because you actually see what, you know, now weather to me is just a radar in different colors and mm. stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, we... Our, when we when we did meteorology in school, we always would joke sometimes, are we are we talking about weather or is it just all math that we do here? So <laughs> there's a lot, a lot of math that goes into the physics side of it. But, uh, yeah, they, they would always get on to us because you'd have to make some pretty good road trips from College Station to go see the good storms and wouldn't get any sleep and come back yeah, to school yeah. the next all day. All the good ones are in Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, uh, it's the biggest tourist industry in Oklahoma. Um, okay, so let's talk more about events that mm-hmm. actually – happened and when they happened and maybe some of the effects uh on on the local area so flooding you've mentioned that mm. a few times um uh one of the first ones i i found recorded was this uh, we talked about a minute ago the may 27th 1885 tornado and flood it uh, did a whole two hundred thousand dollars worth of damage mm-hmm. i think the dollars were different then but they were yeah yeah um um but that's i think people realized as Waco developed, that East Waco was very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I think they, 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 they built dikes. They built some other stuff, some some uh, protection to try to, to try to protect that side of the river. Um, but then found out again in 1913 that uh, it was all for naught. That uh, you know the right sequence of storms. Yeah. You kind of talked about that a minute ago. Um, it wasn't just the rain here, especially when we're talking about a river. It's the it's the rain upriver yeah. that that has a huge effect. Yeah, and, and that's usually when we see our worst. And like I said, when you, when you think the Brazos, it's really kind of goes from here up to the west side of Fort Worth. So you know, when that was any of those storms, that's pre. You know, now you think you've got you know Lake Whitney, and then you've got Granberry Lake, and then mm-hmm. you got Possum Kingdom. So you've got several that can hold the water, right. you know, if, if need be, but. Uh, yeah, that was before any of that stuff. And yeah, you, you could get a lot of runoff and cause the flooding to last for days and days. And that gets to where it causes problems too. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 1913, there's a big flood. 1936, mm-hmm. there's a big flood. I've seen images of those two. And 36 was the one that yeah. really, because from what I saw, there were, there were some at least small dams that busted out. And so that one was the one that really got the gears turning. The problem was then you had World War II, mm-hmm. and then you we had some droughts and stuff like that. So it, it took a long time even after that. But that, right, that 36 right. flood was the one that started pushing the, hey, we, we need – they did do Lake Whitney. That one was mm-hmm. a little earlier than Lake Waco. So, you know, that, that one helped out a lot. Um, but, yeah, that, that, that 36 flood was the one that really got the ball rolling on, hey, we got to protect this and, you know, keep, keep having the flood issues like they were having. Mm-hmm. Right. The 1913 one, just to go back to that one real quick, that was right when they were trying to put in the lock and dam system to make yeah. the to make uh, the Brazos navigable um, as a way to move goods from here to the coast, and it uh, it rerouted the river right yeah. as a, as the floodwaters receded, the channel moved about a mile um, <laughs> away from where they were building these locks and dams. And they still sit out in the middle of a <laughs> yeah, pasture you, today. I, my students, I go on Google Earth and mm. show them where the the, <laughs> the, the, the lock and dam system is. And it's a yeah. long way from the river. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I love that. And then you you mentioned uh, Whitney Dam. Uh, <clears throat> it, it's a testimony to how long it takes to get things done in government. <laughs> I mean, which is true when we talk about Waco Dam and Whitney Dam and all all these projects, and really even getting a road fixed it, uh, it today. But um, um, when it was built in '51, uh, it's it, when it went online. Uh, they often say, so in 1957, they had a similar rain event that could have or should have caused East Waco to flood, but that's when uh, it didn't. And so it's, it's uh, commonly thought of as, uh, yeah. And like mm-hmm. you said, the, um, I think of 55, we're in drought. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. 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 So, and you know, that's the nice thing with the lakes is, you know, they're, they're built to have, you know, normal conservation levels, but then they build in a kind of a flood area that, you know, right. they, they try to tell people not to build in that certain area. So, it can take on that that water, but then the other problem we'll we'll have sometimes with you know the Brazos now, where it may not go down because you start looking up the line where they they need to like water, let water out of certain mm-hmm. lakes to to mm-hmm. get it down and you know really particularly Lake Whitney's got a lot of room where it can flood. Granberry Lake's not it doesn't have as much of an area, so sometimes they have to release a ton out of that. It'll work its way down, keep our levels or. Right now, if you're in downtown Waco, it's more just the speed of the river that it impacts, not as much bringing the, the river up a bunch. It, it probably can come up five to eight feet, sometimes cover up the walkways and stuff like that, but not right. where it's going to cause any structural issues right. in town. Yeah, I've, uh, I can tell how the, the, the reservoirs are doing because I'll go out on Lake Brazos, as mm. we call it now, in yeah. my kayak. And sometimes it goes upstream. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm realizing there's not big releases uh, yes, coming yeah. down because I'm actually going the wrong direction. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. They, they let, and that's the problem we run into with a drought like this is the Army Corps, just the way the water rights work and keep everything moving, they, they constantly release at least a little bit of water out of the lakes, even when it's completely right, dry right, like right. this. Yeah, they have to. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a lot, but, you know, when you start putting the numbers together, yeah, you know, millions of gallons per day that come out. But, yeah, the, the flow of the Brazos can, you know, it was back when the Iron Man started coming here. It just happened to be every time they come, we'd have a big rain. And, yeah, trying to swim in that river with a big current wouldn't be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, I actually did that one time <laughs> when, uh, um, yeah, for a triathlon. It was not fun, oh. so... Well, we, Rick, well, y'all were monitoring that for Tri Waco, right? I mean, yeah, we'll yeah. Well, I mean, we water the water quality and and several different things, but the flow was a big part of that too, mm-hmm. um, just to make sure it, it was safe. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah. So so uh, the flooding, the opposite of a flood is a drought. Drought. Ooh, nailed it, man. <laughs> that's good. So I assume that was from me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we've had significant droughts. You talked about uh, everything's an average when we talk mm-hmm. about climate, but the reality is life is not an average. So um, we have some huge swings. What's, what's that look like on a rainfall standpoint? Yeah, I mean, you, you have some years where you get, you know, half of what we typically would see sometimes. And, you know, and a lot of times a drought, when you're talking a certain year, just depends on when it occurs, you know, and, and that's the other thing of averaging stuff out. You could have a what looked like a normal rain year, and it's all one month. You know, you had too much rainfall in one right, event, right. and it made it look fine. And the another fun part of my job is, no matter when rain falls, it's good for some people, but not others. Because mm-hmm. if you're a yeah. you're your farmer, and it happened to fall right when you need to cut the corn, or go out and right. cut the wheat, or hey, I cut hay and then it fell, the rain fell and it rotted it all. But I always tell my guys, rain's always a good thing, but you're never going to make everybody happy. Right, so, right. Because if, uh, if you say that rain's not good, then they call me up saying, you city guys don't know what you're doing with, you know. So <laughs> rain's always a good thing, but no one's happy with it. But, yeah, you know, a drought 
typically they're multi-year events right. where you, you just, and the, the bad thing is a drought can sometimes get strong enough where it can change the overall weather pattern some where, uh, you know, back in 2011, it was a good example of that where, you know, it just, the heat and the dryness that we had built in and actually built the high pressure even stronger over us and locked mm. in. And, you know, that's why we had 90, 100 degree days. And, um, it was, a uh, you know, in 1980 was another year that was kind of like that, where we had a lot of heat that built in and the drought was bad, but yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of that, you know, yo-yo effect. You just kind of drought to right. flood, drought, flood, and it kind of all evens out gradually. Right. Right. Yeah. At west of town, I've got a little, little farm and uh, part of the, you know, it's got some good bottom land, but the some of the land is up uh, out, out of the bottom lands. It's a lot more gravelly and uh, and really more rock than dirt. And I asked my farmer, Corey Westerfield, one day, he's like, man, why do you keep putting corn there and down in the bottoms? He's like, well, in the wet years, that's actually the best. You get the <laughs> best production there because it doesn't get, you know, didn't get drowned out. Yeah. So he's playing the averages, right? So um, he's going to plant the whole thing and then see what the weather does and uh, hope some of it works out. So, so right now we're in drought. Mm-hmm. And this is the historian asking this question. So when is it going to end, Brady? You know, we're we're <laughs> we're, we're we're transitioning, and that we could go on a whole episode talking about yeah. El Nino and La Nina. But yeah. we've been in a La Nina pattern the last three years, and that's kind of fed into the the drought concerns here. But we're we're in the process of transitioning to more of an El Nino, which typically is a wetter style pattern for us. So, and, and this is another where you know talking about differences in where you live, the the eastern parts of our viewing area, you just go. 50 miles or less east of I-35 and they're not in drought. Mm. No. Uh, and, yeah. you know, so that that's where, you know, you can get just extremes on that. Uh, but yeah, we, we should hopefully, you know, gradually start to, to get out of it. Uh, What's we're, a day? Could you give us a day? Yeah. yeah. Knowing, knowing my luck, since I've got everything planned for May 11th, that's going to be the day that we're going <laughs> to, um, you know, there, there's two days that we don't need storm. Well, I got May 9th because we're doing our premiere, but yeah, May 11th and then next year, whatever may yeah. it's april 8th yeah, or 9th the, the day eclipse. of the eclipse yeah, yeah th- those are two days we're, we're rooting for <laughs> sunny skies crossroads you, episode yeah you talk about the disparity <laughs> across the county um you know again it, so so often it rain when when rain comes through mcclinton county it's on the east side mm-hmm. of waco and not the west you know side. and yeah that a lot of times that just you know there, there's some timing that goes into how storms form but you know like i said it, a lot of that's just how muggy the air is you know right, you've got more right. humidity east so Storms will build and kind of work work there, and then have more time to predict. So, more. so I pulled I pulled the averages for Mart versus Crawford, mm. and it was a, a good three inch difference. Yeah, yearly. Yeah, yeah that's the average. Yeah, so, and you don't think that's a big deal, but three inches can make a huge yeah, huge difference. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know what kind of crops you can plant and how much of an impact it has. Yeah. Um, so twenty two was a dry year. Mm-hmm. So again, looking at the data for that, uh, it is still. Um, not the driest year mm-hmm. we had. 1917, we only had, well, so in 22, we had a little over 20 inches of rain, almost yeah. 21, which is a lot less yes. than the 36 or so that is normal. Yeah, we're supposed yeah. to get. In 1917, they had 13.4 inches of rain. And you think no irrigation to help of anything, yeah, and how bad that was. Oh, gosh. And so uh, uh, then, uh, yeah, 1954 was the next one, about 15 inches, 56. We talked about that drought already a little bit, 63, you know, 51, 99 mm-hmm. is another one. So anyway, so 22, which was the most recent one we all have in memory, as bad as it was, it still was not the worst. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. you know, and that's one of those where it nearly, if you, you kind of have to start in 2021, the fall, and that's what really got it, it 
so we, we had a right. very dry end of the year, and then that started kind of the the drought that continued all the way, and that's what really hurt the lakes. Is mm-hmm. you know we haven't had a great start to the year, but we've been a little below average. But the lakes, you know, the, the stress isn't high on them when you're in the wintertime months. But last year we were so dry in the fall that it just kept falling steadily, mm-hmm. even through the cooler times of the year, and really you know set us up <clears> for a bad setup as we went into the summer. But yeah, it's you you know like I said, they're normally you know anywhere from one to five years sometimes that they can have the impacts. But mm-hmm. yeah, the, the impacts that they felt back in those, you know, the early 1900s compared to what we have now is definitely extreme. Right, right. And just <clears throat> looking at month by month data in 2015, October of 2015, uh, we had over 15 inches of rain in that one month. Mm-hmm. So if I remember that one right, we, I can remember driving in our weather chase vehicle on LaSalle and the water was so high, it nearly came up to our window. That, that's how bad the flooding. That was right around uh, uh, Memorial Day. That, or, yeah, so it was late, um, or Labor Day as we, uh, but yeah, it, we had, yeah, even with the dams and stuff in place, went to uh, Brazos Park East, right. and the water was all the way up where you couldn't even see the boat ramps going in. That, that was how high, but never got to where it really caused any you know concerns in town. But you know, we were talking to some of our newer reporters. They were like, you know, how long is it going to take the lake to recover? Is it going to be years? And I was like, no, you'll be surprised. It'll be a snap of the finger and then right. it will jump right back up just because it, you know, all it takes is a big rain, you know, between here and Stephenville to get the bosky going and yeah, you can catch so much water, but we need the water in advance. So that the ground's not soaking it all yeah. up. That's the problem we have right now is that the land's so dry that it can soak up a bunch and then you don't get the runoff that goes in the river, but, or into the lakes. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we talked about <clears throat> the dams being the solution to the flooding, but it, it was also the solution to the drought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it helped right? out a lot. Yeah, yeah it's uh, um, it's doing double duty, and uh, Waco was very, uh, very wise. The the leadership was when they built Lake Waco, they actually reserved all the water rights, um, and and really puts us now as a community in a great spot. You know, you hear about the other communities in Texas that are running out of water. Yeah. A lot of them have to buy their water mm-hmm. from other other sources. And uh, we were actually in control of our own destiny <laughs> as long well, as we get rain. And I don't, don't know all the details, but they even have some of the Brazos River as yeah. well. Yeah, because absolutely. they're talking about now trying to see how much they, you know, possibly as a backup alternative. Uh, but yeah, you, you can go in Bell County. They're already starting <laughs> to set up pipes that could move more water towards the Austin area out of that area. But, right, um, right. Yeah, and you know, the weird, the crazy thing though, like Lake Waco now, I don't remember if it was in the 90s or early 2000s when they raised the level seven or eight feet, you know, with that, they created the Waco wetlands because when they flooded it, it messed up a bunch of the ecosystems around there. Right. But now it's so low that they can't pump any water in. So Waco wetlands have not been wet for a while. So they've, they're, they're uh, dry know, again. But, but that was 03. Yeah. yeah. So there's already talks now that they may, with this drought showing how much, you know, water resources we need for everything that there's been talks that the city may or county may want to raise it even more uh to possibly hold more water because we're we're not anywhere close to like lowest level since they raised it but i mean we're at 57 feet right now so Mm -hmm. one of the lowest percentages that the lake's ever been since it got built right right uh but but it's a uh uh yeah i've been uh around some of those discussions if you raise it think of the way a lake is built now you just create more surface Mm, area And now you just increase your evaporation, evaporation rate. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there's pros and cons to, yeah, to and raising then, the lake. You know, and you've got a lot of, you know, you raise it that maybe all your boat docks 
aren't going to be usable. And then, you know, right. there, there's a lot of impacts that, yeah, the raising, parks, the parks, parks and stuff like that. And, yeah. You know, and then, yeah, there, there's a lot of things that would have to be changed and done for just a little. Yeah, you don't mm-hmm. you don't think about because we'll get feet. we'll get those droughts and we're like, you know, we're losing a bunch of water, but you can't tell the lakes dropped a bunch. But now that we're down to where it's more the middle of the part of the lake, it, it really can drop real fast when they talk about the levels. Right. Well, we covered a lot of ground. <laughs> yeah, we did. Um, and, I, if, and if you don't like what's in this episode, you just wait a second. And it changes. That's kind of the weather pun. Yeah, 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 there you yeah. go. That's what I thought they said. Yeah. 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 That's yeah, what so, um, yeah, I think one of the uh, the uh, ironic things about our climate is uh, we, we've made Texans the worst drivers on snow and ice in the world. We actually, the, the funny with the 2011 one, we, one of our meteorologists was, he's from Indiana that used to work, and we've sent him out in it because he was the only one that knew how to drive in <laughs> yeah. it. So, uh, yeah, I, we, I don't, you know, though, but we always joke about that. But when you go farther north, it's not the ice storms. They're dealing with snow. When right. you just get yeah. a snowpack, it's a lot different driving on. Nobody drives good on ice. So, I mean, they right. make fun of us. And all of us freaking out. But and, and to be fair, they have infrastructure to deal with it. Yeah. They've got plows. Yes. They've got salters. Yeah. And, and, they and also can't survive 90-degree temperatures either, you know. <laughs> wimps. Yeah, they, they got heat waves, but uh, they also don't have air conditioning in some of the houses. But, uh, yeah, so you give different types. They can deal with it a lot better. Did he say air conditioning? Well, yeah, he, that's one of uh, Rick's trigger words when he hears air conditioning. <laughs> oh. He, he goes, he launches into <clears throat> diatribes about air conditioning. Well, so, yeah. I'm just saying <laughs> that uh, it, it's an important part of our history. <laughs> so, um, whole new episode right there. Yeah, well, <laughs> but it did. I mean, if you're going to bring it up, I mean, it, but the heat uh. in, in the South in particular uh, prevented the, uh, the, you know, the a, a lot of the development. So until we had refrigeration mm-hmm. and air conditioning, that... That's one of the things that, that brought the mass immigration south. So one of the really crazy stories that we'll tell in the documentaries of a man that was an electrician and was putting fans up in the R.T. Dennis building the day the tornado hit because they were kind of in that time frame where you're right. adjusting from winter to uh, spring. But he was on the outside of the building and actually rode the building down. So, oh, my gosh. Um, so he, he wrote a letter. Uh, it was in the papers, but his, his gave it to his daughter and stuff. He, he's passed away a long time ago. But... Yeah, he rode down on the outside of a building down. But it, it kind of an interesting air conditioning, but he was out putting. And there were a lot of people that was so hot and muggy that day. They had their windows open. Yeah. And, you know, and that they could kind of feel the storm coming in as it right. worked in. Well, that, and that actually, uh, because of the pressure difference mm. that a tornado creates, that, yeah. that collapses or blows up a lot of buildings. Yeah, right? and so it, it that can, was probably a. There was another story from the oral history program. We couldn't fit it in the documentary, but. That that was they were talking about opening the windows and their grandmother was like no I don't want my stuff wet but then the storm hit and their house started shaking real bad so they just ran out on the front porch so like we didn't know where to go so we just ran out there but he literally picked their house up and shifted it and set it back down knocked all of them off the front porch but apparently got it lifted so much that a tree in the backyard blew and the house set back down on top of it oh. so uh, but yeah it was one of those just kind of crazy stories of you know one you didn't know what was coming to you didn't know really know what to do when right, it came but. Right. They said that, yeah, they all just took off running and trying. They were wait, afraid the whole house was going to collapse down right. on top of them. Right. So, Brady, give the – this. that's a great uh, full circle to kind of mm-hmm. where we started. When is – how can folks see a monster from the sky? Yeah, so it'll air on, our, on KWTX on May 11th, um, the anniversary. We'll have it on our website and likely on our YouTube page as well once it all um, gets put together. But, yeah, it'll, it'll air on the, on the anniversary. So this year is the, the 70th anniversary of it. 
and y'all have got support. It's commercial and in truth. Yeah, we've got a commercial free. We got uh, partnered up with uh, Texas Farm Bureau. Um, yeah, they're they're helping to kind of cover some of that. So yeah, it'll it'll be an hour long, and it'll air on our. We're actually going to cover up our six o'clock newscast that day, so it'll air from six to seven o'clock on air. And you know, you were talking about partners. Uh, you know, the Texas Collection and the Oral History Program at Baylor. I mean, this this would have not been done. Uh, Jeff Hunt. They, I mean, I he's probably so fed up with me dealing with I because you know like I said I'll, I'll but I, I had so much fun just hearing his stories and mm-hmm. um you know I also figured out that I'm in the wrong profession because you walk in the Texas collection there's never a stressful day there it's all man so calm and just I'm like how, how? oh but yeah so it's a yeah. veneer yeah. oh yeah right so yeah the, and then we'll we'll have several oral history um that's great that are fit in there and you know some some people that kind of have some Waco people know you know uh, Lyndon Olson Sr., um, Roger Conger, we have him in the documentary as well. So um, there, there's some of those names that people know of for Waco history and stuff right, like that. Right. Mm. Great. Well, Brady, thank you so oh, much. Yeah, this is great taking yeah. time with us. Yeah. They're going to have like 100 weather questions after this that everyone, that, that's usually when they sit me down. They're like, oh, so why is this, this, and this? But y'all, y'all fit in, a bunch of them in. <laughs> we, will, we will make the listeners sit in for that part. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Waco History Podcast. Like what you heard? Subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes so we can reach more listeners. You can find show notes and info on every episode at wacohistorypodcast.com and more info on Waco's past at wacohistory.org. Our theme music, used with permission, is Cross the Brazos at Waco, performed by the late Billy Walker. For more info on Billy's music, go to billywalker.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.